it feels very weird for it just to be us. It is. I don't know what to do. I feel like I'd say it's uh, like the adults weren't in the room, but (laughs) (laughs) it's the opposite of that. That's good. I like that. CapsCorner.com podcast, CapsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. Hi, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place of Franklin States in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, December the 21st. Christmas is only a few days away. Uh, Virginia's bowl game is roughly a week away. Cavaliers on the hardwood again uh, tomorrow night as we record this uh, against Clemson. So plenty to talk about uh, on all fronts. Um, it is the holiday season, so uh, obviously for a lot of people, you know, there's travel, there's, you know, time to be here and time to be there. Um, for tonight, it is just two of us on this uh, wayward crew. Um, let me start by introducing everybody for this evening that everybody is in Fishville. David Spence is on the show. How's it going, my friend? It's going pretty good, too. You told me it was Wednesday, and I got really confused. Yeah, Tuesday, oh, December it's 21st. Tuesday. Tuesday, December the 21st. Sorry yeah, about that, they're guys. They're playing Sorry. NFL football, man. How could you not think it's Tuesday? It's <laughs> perfectly normal. Who Dave's on the board at? Who Dave's on Twitter? And Cavs Corner, also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the in-game updates, the content items, and the occasional Woody banter. Both uh, Ferber and Damon are on assignment this Tuesday, to be clear, Tuesday evening. Um, I, I would go back and edit it, but no. Um, so we will talk to them next week. Uh, for now, I, we're going to talk a little bit about kind of where things are in the big picture. Um, we obviously have had a lot of discussion about Virginia's coaching situation. We talked last week is sort of about the um, hiring and introducing of Tony Elliott as head coach. We talked a little bit about Bronco Mendenhall and his staff on its way out. Um, reports surfaced in the last, what, 72 hours or so that not only was Robert and I no longer with the program, but that um, Syracuse could be eyeing the former offensive coordinator in Charlottesville for its offensive coordinator job, possibly with Jason Beck coming along with him as the quarterback's coach. Now, Beck expected to call plays for Virginia in next week's um, Fenway Bowl. Um, I, I, I can't say that that surprises me that an eye is not uh, on staff and not working through the bowl game. And the fit at Syracuse surprises me a little bit, um, but... I think the bigger shock to me was the idea that, you know, that Beck might already be sort of in line for that, which means that, you know, his potential, um, you know, his potential for staying in Charlottesville seems um, all but not. Because one would imagine, right, the way this would work is that if, if Tony Elliott was not planning to retain certain coaches, he would go ahead and tell them so that they had the opportunity, like Mark Atawaya, to find a new home. Certainly looks like he's going to be the new running backs coach in Washington State. Um, I guess I just want to, I don't know. I, we've, we've talked a lot about Bronco, um, in recent weeks for obvious reasons. Um, in our text thread, Dave, we have been talking a lot more about Bronco and sort of where things are and all the weirdness, um, you know, all the, the interesting pieces of the puzzle that will no longer be part of the puzzle. Um, but I was kind of struck, you know, something you said after the introductory or during the introductory press conference, a lot of what Tony Elliott had to say. You know, it felt like Bronco, but from someone who was much more engaging, someone who felt more, um, maybe more like a everyday sort of football coach, somebody who felt um, maybe like that's that's like somebody you actually knew as opposed to Bronco, who was, you know, very focused and very sort of regimented and had a sort of a different way of looking at things. Um, Since then, you know, more more footage has come out with Tony talking to the team, and it felt like to me that a lot of the same stuff that we felt like from the introductory press conference holds true, right? He has mantras, he has acronyms, you know, he has kind of the way he looks at things, but he feels much more like a football coach to me than Bronco ever felt. And that's really got me thinking about sort of the Bronco era and these these announcements about coaching changes and sort of where these guys are headed and stuff um, has, has also played into that. And I kind of want to start the discussion tonight 
by posing a question to you, which is, as you look back on the Bronco era and as you look forward, you know, we talked last week, right, about the, uh, the bowl game and if we wanted to see, you know, the staff be there, if we wanted to just hurry up and get to the Tony Elliott era. Yeah. But as you look back, what what's going to be your lasting sort of, I don't know, thought of Bronco and, and his folks? Because for me, I, I think they did a lot for the program, but there's a lot of like oddness in some of the decisions that were made and some of the ways that they did things. That I I don't think I'm ever really gonna get beyond like not that it was a problem per se just that it was just ne- it never felt in like anything other than um, maybe just a little off a little different a little too different. Um, what are some of your your takeaways or, or whatever from the Bronco era and sort of looking forward now um, that you've got a little bit more even more distance from his announcement? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. Like, I feel different. I think I'm gonna feel differently two three six months from now than i do currently because um i mean i have a sour taste in my mouth the way it ended you know we we kind of joked i think we talked about in the last podcast like you know virginia scored that touchdown late against georgia tech to go up three scores and then that game ends up being you know (laughs) we know what happened in that game and then the rest of the season was just you know a a loss to byu lost to Pitt, lost to notre dame lost to virginia tech um certainly the way the loss to Virginia Tech happened and the aftermath of them rushing the field. And then all of a sudden, you know, less than a week later, Bronco, who, you know, was just talking about winning the Coastal. And, you know, we know at that point going into that pit game, whoever won that, won that game had a pretty good chance. You know, if whoever won the Coastal had a pretty good chance to win the ACC. We go from thinking we could potentially win the ACC to our coach resigning kind of out of nowhere. So, I do have a sour taste, so anything I'm feeling right now it is definitely jaded. But I think ultimately what his legacy here you know, will be built on is what the program looks like a year from now. Um, because, look, the, the on-field results, while certainly better than his predecessor, you know, streak of bowl games of the COVID season, you know, withstanding, that hasn't been matched by anyone but Welsh, you can't overlook that. Um, you know, if you want to play devil's advocate and say his schedule was a little more conducive to, to winning games and some others, go ahead. But, he, you know, he won the games. Um, and, and the team, look, the team did get better. And, you know, I felt like it did seem, you know, it did seem like the infrastructure for the program was getting better. Now, ultimately, that his connection to the people with money wasn't enough to to get that facility built while while he was a coach um or a ground broken while he was a coach and and obviously you know he lost he lost to his biggest rival you know four times um or five times five times so that's a tough record and so now like he, he can't change that he can't go back and beat them now um and he can't go back and and get the ground broken before he resigned but what he can do is kind of what he talked about in the introductory press conference with, you know, and the, the few he had that spring, which was, Hey, there's a lot of work to do inside the McHugh as far as support staff and scouting and all that stuff. Um, trying to build the level of UVA's program up to its power five, you know, um, competitors. And we don't know, like, it looks like they definitely have more people in those positions and, you know, it definitely seems like a little more cohesive unit behind the scenes. But ultimately, like if it's a good infrastructure, we shouldn't see some of we should see some carryover into like the Elliott area should be starting at a higher level than what Bronco came in. And so I think that ultimately will define his legacy because we've seen the you know, the unbroken growth, all that stuff. Kind of, you know, kind of got derailed in the last few games of this past season. Yeah, I think the thing that that got me thinking about this, and I and I and I understand that folks out there are getting a little bit tired of talking about these things, but when your coach, you know, randomly resigns, it, it takes a process for it to sort of like kind of, um, you know, work its way through the um, the outgoing system. And we and until Tony has a chance to hire his staff, has a chance to get things going, you know, there's a lot that sort of remains which is this oddness of having a coach and another coach 
um, I mean, a signing day where you had two coaches talking about a, a class is is just so rare. Bizarre, bizarre, yes, completely bizarre. But but what I was thinking, what I was going to say is, is that the thing I keep thinking about is all of the little things right along the way that, that Virginia's no longer like the earning of the numbers. I mean, you know, I guess I should we should discuss this with the caveat that certainly Tony Elliott could keep some of these things, um, but earning of numbers and you know the the various like things that you know folks on the outside would look at virginia football and be like wait what do y'all they do what right like i would talk to people about you know sort of some of the things that that virginia did and certainly there were there were aspects of it that caught on right the rock breaking the rock after the game um you know that became a thing that you saw you know several other places do um you you didn't see anybody earning numbers you didn't see anybody you know, certainly go as far as what that first group had to do with, you know, having the V Sabres and everything stripped off of them and whatnot. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that from my point of view, and I mentioned this on Twitter the other day when, when I was talking about Anai, I, I think we, if we're going to have a conversation about sort of the entirety of a, of a tenure, you can't just focus on how good aspects of this year were. Uh, certainly Virginia's offense was great in 2021. Um, not balanced enough to withstand the moments when it when the passing game wasn't great, but certainly the passing game was great this year. Um, and it's I think it's fair to look back at the tenure and say, well, you know, there were some real weird head scratching plays. And and I and I as I often do when I talk about this, I quote Dave's you know series of sentences, not necessarily a paragraph thing. Um, but if you look at the program as a whole, I think one of the I don't know, man. I I I don't want to be I don't want to be too harsh here, but I wonder if, if you look back at it, um, sort of, it was always a, an idea more so than a than a than something that was actually sort of delivered, right? Like earn not given, and some of the mantras that they had. I think they were excellent ideals, but I don't know if they ever really achieved them with any consistency. And certainly the manner in which Bronco resigned and the way that this this program sort of had to pivot very quickly to a different face and a different organization with new faces and you know a new outlook like that's indicative i think of a um you know you know of a mission that 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 falls incomplete um and i and i and i don't want i'm not trying to bag on them i'm just trying to think of you know as you look at it from from a totality of circumstances it's hard not to look at sort of the the results on the field and sort of how bronco and his staff um handled those results um, you know, this season, you know, for example, a big focal point was, well, they made changes on the defensive side of the ball to make the defense better. They had all of this experience coming back and it, and the defense never responded, right? Like there was just no, there was no discernible improvement in that group this year. I think we can agree. Um, certainly some individual players who, who may have flashed. Um, but overall it was, it's hard, it was hard to see any sort of, you know, Bronco talked about, you know, unbroken growth. And the only thing unbroken was, you know, their demise, right? The defense really struggled. And, you know, you could make an argument that it sort of is what wasted an otherwise absolutely outlandish offensive season um, because the defense just literally couldn't get stops. And I, I, I don't want to go as far as to say that, um, that, in, in, that, that Bronco and his folks are, are, are doing UVA a favor, doing fans, whatever. I, I don't think – I think that's too far. But I do think that there's a renewed sense of optimism that would not have been present had, had these changes not occurred. Now, certainly it throws everything for a loop. You've got a lot of players. As we talked about, you know, when, when, um, um, when uh, Justin Fuente was fired at Virginia Tech, right, that there were guys on that team who wanted to play for that coach, right, who – who were not happy with the way Virginia Tech handled that coaching change. There are certainly guys on this roster who wanted to play for Bronco and his coaching staff. And so there are a lot of guys in the portal right now and guys that Tony Elliott and his pending staff have to win over to bring back. Um, some of them, you know, they might try really hard. Some of them, they might not try at all um, just because of fit or because of um, a whole host of reasons. But it certainly seems like to me that there's a renewed sense of optimism that would not have been present had these changes not occurred. And at the same time, I think, you know, after, per our conversation last weekend or last week about the, uh, the bowl game, like I, I think ultimately I, 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 um, the more I've thought about it, the more I've really kind of solidified in my position that like, if you're not going to have Tony and his staff actually coach it, then, you, then it does feel right to give this staff 
these players their chance to have you know their fun, kind of finishing touch on whatever whatever the story of Bronco Mendenhall's tenure at UVA is it, to give them that opportunity. Um, it's a shame that Robert and I won't be calling plays for it. Um, you know, we can get into what that says and and what that means, but ultimately, you know, he had an outstanding season this year. Um, certainly, you can't you can't just hand wave away what happened in the Tech game. Um, and you certainly can't hand wave away the fact that they, you know, they weren't really able to ever run the ball with any consistency or they just chose not to. Um, but for him not to f- finish that off, I mean, you know, that's a, that's a tough thing to swallow for me. But ultimately, what can you do? Um, yeah. in, in terms of the bigger picture, Dave, as we look at Tony Elliott trying to put together a staff, we know roughly what his offense is going to be. What do you want the defense to be? What do, we, you know, we've heard some names, and you know, so there's been some rumblings here and there about various spots, but we haven't heard a whole lot in terms of like big picture schematic, um, you know, details, right? Tony, we know what he wants to run offensively. We don't know until there's a coordinator what they want to do defensively. What would you like to yeah. see, um, both offensively and defensively? Do you think he just takes what he, he ran um, that same, you know, two back, no huddle? tempo uh do you want to, is that what you want to see on offense and what do you feel like you want to see on defense i mean i think look his offensive system can definitely work um i mean i think you've got two different if brendan's not coming back i think you go full full bore with his system because that's what he that's what he knows that's what he trains it's proven to be successful um you can argue it requires high caliber athletes but um you know with the track record he has he should be able to Put pieces together and with what's on the roster even without brennan he should be able to put together an offense that's capable of scoring um if brennan's there maybe you put a little more maybe there's a little more passing you know a little more route concepts than a little different route concepts than the clemson offense had um last year but he also called the clemson offense with trevor lawrence and that that thing had plenty so i think his offense is fine let him do what he's going to do and i think the challenge for him is the same challenge any coordinator has when they take a head coaching role. Like, do they have time to do as much with the offense as they did when they were just a coordinator? You know, there's a lot of other responsibilities. Um, you know, Tech's having the same, going to have the same issue with, with Pry. Like, what does he do? Does he call the defense or does he let someone else do it? But, you know, offense is a little more sophisticated to call and plan. So we'll see. We'll see a lot based on whoever's ultimately chosen to be the offensive coordinator, I think that'll give us some clue on what Tony's thinking. But my hunch is he's at least the play caller the first year or two um, just because that's what he knows and that's one variable he can control. Defensively, go ahead. You're going to say something? No, I, no, I, no, yeah. you're good. You're good. <laughs> yeah. No, defensively, um, I don't know. Like, I mean, I feel like we go from – like, I like the 3-4. I was excited about the 3-3-5 just because of the – the way our three, four last year, you know, 2020 kind of, kind of struggled and especially losing Snowden and not having a lot of experience back in the linebacker core, you know, to, to help Jackson and, and Noah last year. Um, but, you know, going to a three, three, five, it, I don't think you can throw it out. Like even, but, you know, then I found myself <laughs> like when, when grow left, when London came and went to the four, three, like all, they all have their pluses and minuses when you're a school like Virginia, um, who historically hasn't been able to recruit at a national, you know, top 15 level consistently. Right. They've had classes there, you know, grow had back-to-back classes in the top 10. Um, and he was able to put together a really good three, four defense when he did that, but getting a three, four defense as and, and getting enough of them to make Virginia a very good three, four team is pretty rare. Um, now going four three, you can find those guys, but the way offenses are called now, four three definitely limits you. So, look, I, I don't know if I really have a scheme preference. I just want someone who's a, I want an aggressive attacking defense um, that complements the offense, which is kind of what we had when Virginia was good in two thousand nineteen. You know that defense after Bryce Hall got hurt still gave up points, but they created sacks and turnovers. Um, this year's defense like didn't you know. Gave up yards and didn't create much havoc, um, so that's got to change. I don't care how you how you create the havoc. Havoc is huge. Uh, Ferber and I've talked about it on the podcast before. Like if you go look, there's there's so many stats to show. If you have a sack on a drive, like 
the chances of the team, the points per drop drops like 50% or it's almost down to like less than three uh, on a drop that has a sack. Um, so they're hugely important and obviously turning the ball over also important. So yeah, don't know if I have a scheme preference, but definitely I, I think you got to see what you got coming back on the roster and get someone who, who's got proven success. And I think it needs to be someone like the scheme is probably a little less important than the ability of the defensive coordinator that's ultimately hired. Um, Cause if Tony's going to call the offense, he's going to need someone he can turn the defense over to and trust. Yeah. I, I think that's exactly what I've been thinking, which is the idea that, you know, as much as, as much as you want to have a system that, um, you know, everybody wants to be, you know, aggressive and athletic, right? I mean, that's that's standard across the board, right? Every every school doesn't want to be slow and, you know, in, a, in unable to adjust, right? Um, but I, I think that beyond any, you know, specific ideals on the defensive side, having someone who understands how to run it without the head coach sort of being super involved at least initially, is is imperative, right? I, I think that's a that's a very commonsensical sort of way to look at this. Is that Tony's going to be very focused on the offense? That's what he that's what he does. That's what Virginia brought him to Charlottesville to do. Um, you know, he wants to score points. You know, it's an it's going to take a little while for regard no matter who he has on his offensive staff for him to get that part up and running. So it makes a lot of sense to me that you would need a coordinator who can come in, install the system, um, and go from there. Um, I, I feel you know, I think like for of, me, when, real quick, I think yeah. if I have my druthers, it's a four three, um, because I think it's easier at this point in time to recruit to that. Um, yeah, I, I just don't think a three four realistically, you're going to find guys who can um, who can play that system the way it needs to be played in order to be you know aggressive and athletic. Um, and I think the three three five, while we talk so much about it. Right, late spring into the summer, and certainly in the preseason. I mean, the final analysis we were really wrong, not just about whether or not Virginia should use it, but how it would look once they did. And I, I look at it now and I think, man, if that group had been a four three, um, and had you know, kind of that was that was something that they were sort of prepared to do, and they did that throughout the the, the length of the season. Maybe it's a different sort of animal. Um, but they just did not have, and probably won't have for the first couple seasons, the right pieces to really make it be whatever the new defensive coordinator wants it to be. Um, certainly the offense has a chance, especially if Brandon were to come back, some of the offensive linemen come back. Um, the offense has a chance to be really good. Um, I, I think that they have more in the in the uh, backfield than than the, than the than the Cavaliers have shown the last you know several seasons, right? I don't think it, it's been a while. Um, even back to the, maybe the Jordan Ellis days, since you saw Virginia run the ball with any sense of real consistency and purpose. Um, what, for whatever reason that may have been, it certainly is the reality, right? Is that they that the that the running game was like a four, you know, just a thing that was off to the side, um, forgotten sort of conclusion. It 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 occasionally would pop up. Um, you'd give a kid, you know, a couple carries here or there, and then you just wouldn't see that dude again. Um, the fact that Devin Darrington didn't get touches consistently feels almost mal like malpractice to me. Um, but I don't think you're gonna have to worry about that with Tony Elliott and his, his folks on the offensive side. Um, bigger than that, uh, you know, it, it, it's not just the running game has to do this or the passing game has to do that. I, I think it, you know, you mentioned sort of complimentary football. Um, and I think that every coach hopes that their, their groups will, will sort of play, um, you know, with similar sort of mindsets. Um, the overarching part of this is Tony. And I'm just curious in the, in the times that we've seen him publicly, um, you know, whether that's in commentary to media or in things that the school has put out, ha has your excitement level with him been consistent? Has it grown? Where are you on the, on the excited scale right now? I mean, I think my analogy last week was like we got presents, but we can't open them yet. Um, and now, like, I, I think my, I think a better analogy is more like, uh, like uh, we're dating someone, and we know we're going to break up after the big dance. But I got someone I really want to date lined up afterwards. Like it's, it's such an awkward time right now. Um, I mean, it does feel like 
before I answer your actual question. Um, I mean, to me right now, it's a little frustrating because I'd like to see some, I'd like to know who's going to be on the staff. Obviously that works right. going on behind the scenes right. and stuff. Um, but you don't see a lot of offers going out right now either. I can only think of like one since Tony was hired to a transfer and there's some really good transfers committing elsewhere. Now, granted, he's got his own guys. Like you don't want to go signing three offensive linemen and then try to talk Olu and Soboda and, and maybe even Haskins to come into coming back. That makes your job a little tougher. Kind of be, you know, unless these guys have already made their decision and you know, there's some people who claim to know that that has happened for one of them, at least. Um, that said, like, that's frustrating for me as a fan right now. Um, and I, it's been a ridiculous amount of time trying to find out possible connections and following, you know, following every little lead you can get. Um, but ultimately what that all leads to me is you know, learning more about Tony and look, his pre- I loved his press conference, especially when he went to the reporters, you know, reporters started asking questions. I think you could start to see his personality a little bit. Um, the video UVA put out with him talking about the heart thing. That was good. I wish they would have put made it longer because when they sh- when they released still photos of that event, you could see him like pointing to the screen and talking about his family and stuff. And you could see players laughing in the background. Like I would have liked to have seen that part to see how he engaged with them. Um, but Clemson football, you know, if, if you want to know more about Tony, Clemson football has a ridiculously good video department. Um, so much content on YouTube. They have a vlog they do. And Tony's on a lot of that stuff. And I think I sent you that one where he's playing basketball against one of yeah, the receivers. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you really, to me, like you see a lot more of him than you saw in what we've seen from UVA, Tony Elliott so far. And that got me excited because that's the kind of guy, look, if there's one thing you can say Bronco didn't do well enough was, look, you've got to win football games. That's what they brought you here for. But that football's not, look, we know. We, you can argue it. But football is also about connecting with the money, right? Um, ACC is not getting SEC and Big Ten payouts, so they're they're not the athletic department is not as flush with cash as some of the other power fives. So you and we don't have a huge alumni base, and certainly not a huge alumni base who have a history of donating big money to the football program. So you need a coach who can do all the things you want him to do to make you proud of him as a UVA fan. Um, you know, winning winning with good athletes, good people, you know, um, doing all that stuff, but you have to, you have to make people want to open up their checkbooks and you do that at the BAF events. You do that by making them like you and being really motivated in that, in that setting, um, being a good salesman for your program. And I do think that's an area where Bronco kind of struggled connecting to those who write the checks. Um, you know, I talked to him at a couple of VAF events and he's perfectly nice. He's just not a super social guy, you know? Um, so hopefully Tony will be better at that. And the videos I've seen of him definitely make it pretty clear. He, he's comfortable talking and, and has, has a great personality. So that stuff I'm super excited about. I am excited to see what the staff's going to be like. Like there's a lot of the, like, you know, a lot of the smoke and rumors you hear. Some of those guys are really exciting. And I think that could be a, a whole different staff. Um, and I think if not to make this a bash Bronco thing, cause I like the guy, like y'all listen to my, our podcast. Like I, I've always liked Bronco. Like I said, I just have the sour taste in my mouth right now. Um, but I, I think it's, it's good to have a staff. that's not all group think, right? You know, if you all have the same background and the guy in charge pretty much got you into the coaching profession, you're probably not getting a lot of push and pull. Like if there was a push and pull in the Virginia room, it was between a nine and everyone else. Um, so having a staff with different ideas, I think, can be good as long as you all have a common goal. Um, so I, I'm a little, I'm very excited to see what staff he puts together and hope that information comes out by next week. <laughs> yeah, it's funny to think that it, you know, by the time, you know, you know, probably not next week because we're going to be focusing on the bowl game and sort of actually the football side of it. But it won't, it might not be, you know, too terribly long after that you know, first of the year so that somewhere in that ballpark that you get a real sense of sort of what the future that, you know, or at least the immediate future of the, 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 the new, the, the sort of new page for Virginia football is. And there will be obviously a lot to discuss once that um, comes to fruition. Let's uh, let's shift over to the, to the basketball side uh, of the road. And certainly 
I mean, I don't know if you can learn but so much um, about Virginia and sort of where things are off of that win um, on Saturday, other than that Jaden Gardner was, was making a whole bunch of baskets. I think he set a JPJ record for the number of field goals made in a game. Um, he but had beyond, 44 points at one time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> beyond, beyond that, beyond just that piece of it, Let's have a, a kind of a bigger sort of conversation about where the basketball team is, and I, I, I don't make a habit of, 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 kind of scratching my head publicly. Uh, I, I'll keep that to to texting these knuckleheads, um, but it, it's very head scratching to me some of the the rotations and decisions that Virginia has um, has has made has you know some of the different combinations that are put on the floor, and I can't tell what I think about that. I, I can't tell. If if I think that that Tony is still sort of searching for for answers, if he's trying to motivate guys, if he's if he genuinely isn't sure which group, you know, which makes the most sense, if he's just trying to move it around so guys can sort of um, there's a there is in some places. Right. Coaches kind of like to keep guys uh, a little bit in the dark in terms of like the the natural sort of um, rhythm of things so that they can um, sort of be ready at all times. But, man, I'm not really sure what to make of what Virginia has done, specifically when it comes to the minutes for Tane and Igor. Um, it seems like to me, and Dave, you correct me if, if I'm wrong here, but I don't think you're, you are because I think you're going to agree with me, that those two guys should be getting a lot more burned than they have been simply because you want them to have as much uh, experience going into ACC play as you can get them because they are guys who you, you feel like you might have to lean on. That's not to say that that some of the guys who Virginia has played won't be leaned on. They will, but I look around at some of the um, you know combinations and some of the the minutes that guys are are getting, and it's hard for me to to square why those two guys aren't seeing more time. What are your thoughts on that? How do you feel about um, those two kids not getting nearly as much uh, burn, maybe as 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 myself or uh, or others out there might wish they were going to get? I don't need to give the caveat that Tony Bennett is amazing and I don't, I'll never question anything he does because, because <laughs> he won me the title stuff I'm staring at on my wall. Um, look, I mean, it is a little head scratching just because you see what Tane and Igor and even Carson a little bit ha- have done on the offensive side, which clearly is a struggle at times for the starting five. Um, but and I think they should get more minutes. Like if I want to play devil's advocate, so the podcast is more interesting. Um, look, I mean, Igor, Tane, and Carson, when when they've gotten playing time, have struggled at times on the defensive end, pretty mightily. Um, and we know that gets you a pretty quick hook, um, you know, under Tony. So, like, I mean, I guess you know, one theory is like if you have them out there getting beat defensively, does that hurt their confidence too much where they're not available ACC play? I don't think so. Like, I mean, I think that what they're doing, obviously Igor is not, none of them are shot to shoot the ball. So they've got, they've got pretty good confidence. Um, but at this point, like the fact that they haven't played more than they have, and we know traditionally what Tony does when ACC play comes is that rotation shrinks um, seven, sometimes eight. And if you look at that last game and the games before that, the seven and eight seem to be the starting five Malachi Poindexter, and Kafaro and then Statman is number eight, which puts the other guys out of the picture. And I don't know if you listened to the whole press conference after the Fairleigh Dickinson game, but Tony said something that made my ears perk up. He's, he talked about how excited he was for uh, for those three, uh, Tane, Igor, and, and Carson, to get some play at the end. You know, He said, I'm, I was happy to get those guys some minutes because they've been training really hard, which sounds like, Dudes, he doesn't plan on playing a whole lot. Which I mean, where? Okay, so help me understand, Dave, because I don't understand it. Like, I don't. I, <laughs> I, I think on some level, like if you wanted to make the argument to me and you want to say, "Listen, Brad, Virginia as car- currently constituted, the only way they're going to win games is to be basically elite defensively, and certain dudes can't be sort of in the mix if that's going to be the goal, right?" I would yeah. probably agree with that line of thought, right? If that's your goal, then maybe okay, then yes. The question I have is, can that really be the goal? Because do we think this group can be elite defensively? Um yep. I, I think they can be good. I think they might be they can be very good. 
I don't know if they can be elite. And if you're if you're not going to get to that level, right? If you're not going to have the group from a couple years ago where they were, they were absolutely elite defensively. And that offense really struggled because of some of the ways, you know, that those defensive pieces fit together on the other side of the floor. It if nothing else, injecting these guys in, in certain spots can help you offensively. I feel like in a way that that is more significant or maybe more impactful than the ways that they negatively impact you defensively, right? Oh yeah, we yeah, saw a little sure. bit of this when when Kyle and, and Ty were freshmen. You know, we saw yeah. a little bit of this, right? Where where they played a little bit and they were they struggled on D, and it felt like maybe Tony went away from him, and then he started going back to him more, and it felt like to me that their offense was always good, but their defense got better the more time they got. And he sort and it's almost like they had to sort of just say, you know what, we're going to live with what it is until it gets better. Now you could say in response, well, obviously their defense got better, so that's why they stay on the floor, not because you know their offense was good, um, and he just didn't necessarily care as much about the defense. It's that, it's that the defense got better, and for these guys, their defense has not gotten to that place. Okay, now that's a fair point. This is one of the downsides to a, a sport where you, <laughs> where you where you have guys who have to play on both sides, right? You don't get to specialize. You don't have to say, like, oh, you're this and oh, you're that. Dudes have to be able to do both. Um, you know, we have talked, you know, I want to say pretty, you know, fairly um, over time, a good amount, about the idea of playing Kihei and, and Reese together and what that means for Virginia as a whole. I think on this team, it's even more imperative to have that conversation because when you look beyond the guards, right, they don't really have any sort of shooting um, element um, that can can come in and sort of take that pressure off of them, right? And so teams can do a lot of different things because Virginia's guards right now, you know, those two guys, and and, and Armand Franklin is is very hit or miss at least right now, right? When he when he's on, he's he looks great. Um, when he's not, he's, he's struggling from the from the floor. He's got to manufacture his points elsewhere. You can't have that many dudes, as well as Jaden Gardner, all trying to eat at the rim, right? You just you can't. Now, Kihei Clark has shot it better this season than he has in the past. Um, but I think, you know, in some ways, you know, him being the team's best three-point shooter has a lot more to do with the team. Um, it's certainly great for Virginia that he's improved. And, you know, he's at a point in it with that where, you know, what you want him to keep shooting. But I think beyond that, they've got to figure out some other offensive answer um, because I, I just don't know if the defense is ever going to get to the level that it needs to get to in order to sort of counteract not having that. How do you feel about yeah. the the big picture there? Yeah, I mean, so that's the thing. Like, this defense is like 49th in Ken Palm. That's not good, right? And that, that's with we know the, the you know the the starting five getting a lot of burn. Um, the thing that really made me scratch my head in the last game was the Shedrick at four at the four with Kafaro at the five lineup, like. If it wasn't clunky enough, like that's just clunkier. So uh, I don't know what what that was about. Um, so look, there, there's you're right. I mean, I think the thing is, it's a lot of what we're talking about now is isn't just the bench guys not getting more time. It, it's the starting five not being <laughs> not being great together, and not to put too much on one guy, but I think. You know, Franklin need we needed Franklin to be the guy we saw in Indiana last year, not the guy we've seen so far. Because, like, I agree. Like, you, you can argue the, and I've said this in our text threads. Like, you can argue the Reese and Kihei playing the same time. To me, the bigger issue is right now Reese, Kihei, and Amon Franklin are about the same guy, and Kihei's the best shooter of the three. So maybe the argument is why are you playing Reese and Franklin at the same time? Because those two guys right now, with Franklin struggling like he is, like at twenty percent from three. They're essentially both guys who need to to dribble drive. You know, Franklin's got a good good little pull up game, which would be great if he had a three point shooter out there. But you know, the starting five, like, Kihei's going to have to probably shoot sixty percent from three before he'll get respect out there. And you know, he's shooting like over forty um, with a decent a number of shots this year. But you know, you watch the offense in the half court and. I mean, when Gardner gets the ball, you can double team him, triple team him, because and still cover your guy because you're not worried about him on the outside. You know, that's a really difficult way to score. Um, you know, we're going to see a lot. Like Clemson, Clemson's got a good little team going. Um, that's going to be a good challenge tomorrow. 
And then the next game they play is Syracuse. And I'm tr- struggling to see how this starting five can put up enough points against a good zone um, <laughs> for that elite defense that we're hoping to make it a competitive game. So, yeah, I, I think you're right, like on that Kyle uh, and Ty combo. I think at some point this year you're going to st- – either Franklin's going to regress to his mean um, – or last year was the aberration, one of the two. And, and if if he doesn't get better shooting the three, then someone's got to get – you can't continue to play Reese, Kihei, and Armand together if if Armand Franklin is not shooting like we know he's capable of at times. Um, and if that's the case, then you got to get – whether it's Igor getting more minutes at the four. Like, I think Igor can play five against some some teams, you know. Um, smaller teams especially, but Igor at the four with or getting Tane some some run at the three with Reese and Kihei. Like I think even that is a potentially better offensive lineup than we've seen from the starting five. We kind of joke about it on the text thread, like the the worst offensive team is the one that starts every game. And you know, they're eleven games into a the season now. And you know, they've it's hard to see a whole lot changing. Um but I think I've said it on the podcast and maybe just in the text thread. But if there's one thing this team – like this team would make more sense. Oh, no, it was just to a guy I was talking to at work today. This team to me makes a lot more sense if you realize that Trey Murphy was supposed to be on it, right? That's fair. Then, That's very fair. Yeah. Then then you're like, oh, this is a great supporting cast for an elite three who can yeah. also guard the four and right. five. Right. But, but you got to figure out someone to be an average, you know, we need better than better play from the two and, you know, and, and more, you know, more outside scoring. Cause yeah, yeah I hate to say like the, the competition level is about to tick up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say like, we, 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 we we're, we're used to that sort of changeover that we see between the non-conference and the, and the conference, the conference schedule this year is going to be interesting because yes, the, 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 the competition level is going to go up, but man, the ACC, um, I mean, I know, you know, a lot of us in ACC country, we like to beat our chest on how the ACC is the best and this and this. How many AC, how many teams right now you think are getting into the, the tournament? I mean, <sighs> not many. One, <laughs> two, like the, the roster. Let's put it to you like this. The bench is not exactly deep, right? Um, in terms of, you know, at least as of now, now teams can sort of put it together and, and we, we got to wait and see what, um, what COVID and, and sort of, um, the, the, what the, what the league decides to do in terms of the forfeit, uh, rules and, and things that were clearly designed at a time when, when the, when the virus was in a very different place. And, um, certainly, you know, when you were, you were at a place where, um, originally, right. The idea being that once you were vaccinated, you, you didn't shed virus and, um, you didn't have to worry about getting it. Well, variants have changed that, and and it seems like the 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 league, various leagues around the country are going to have to come to terms with what their forfeiture rules say about teams that have to you know pause because of um, COVID outbreaks or what have you. But anyway, I I think in the big picture, you know, we certainly expect that the uh, competition level is going to increase. The question is how consistently it does that, and. You know, it's funny because like of all the years for Virginia to have a team that is extremely limited, um, you know, in some very, um, you know, very firm ways. I, I don't know, if, you know if you look at this team and, and some of the, the issues that it that it has sort of reaching its full potential or, or excuse me, or or reaching the program's full potential. Right. The the, the skill sets and the, and the ways these guys kind of um, combine, it, it doesn't leave you a lot of wiggle room or, or a lot of a lot of ceiling left, um, you know, to, to, to really get better. Right. So some of these things that are, that are issues are going to be issues. Teams are going to zone them up and they're going to zone them up a lot and they're going to dare Virginia to shoot. And, you know, when you look at next year's team, um, and I know, you know, a lot of us who do things like podcasts and stuff, we're, we're very (coughs) good. Excuse me. We're very guilty of this, right. Where we, we talk about like, Oh, well, you know, you look at next year and you got, this guy and that guy, oh, you know, it's going to fix these problems. Well, that's kind of the way sports work sometimes, right? Um, but for this group this year, um, that competition level may go up. I'm not entirely sure what to make of what that competition level is specifically for Virginia because I think there are a lot of teams just like Virginia, teams that are kind of, you know, scrambling a little bit, still still trying to put it together, um, you know, trying to figure out not just roles but sort of how things should fit together. 
Um, there are a lot of teams I think there that are sort of trying to trying to figure it out in a way that Virginia still is, and that's that's good. Um, we yeah. talk sometimes on the show. Go ahead, Dave. Go ahead. Oh, I got one question I want to ask you because it's something that's crossed my mind. I think Virginia has an advantage in, against conference opponents because they all like all the coaches, like, you know, a lot of, you know, you get coach changes, but there's a lot of staffs that have played against Tony and a lot of players that have played against Tony's teams. And I think they almost get a benefit of the doubt. Like guys come in, they expect, like they think Virginia's defense is what it always is. Um, and I think you've seen it with some teams that maybe like that, the, the COVID team, um, a lot of teams came in thinking that was, the championship level team and played them accordingly, you know, didn't take the rush three kind of worked their shots. Meanwhile, you get in the out of conference games where they, they haven't played Virginia much and they just come out and start, you know, shooting the ball from deep and getting the first shot and trying to run, doing all the stuff that you shouldn't do against your good Virginia team. Right. So it, I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but something like it's almost weird. Like if you think about the NFL football, like, comp it's when you play your division opponents they tend to know a little more about you and i think they sometimes that can work to your benefit if they think hey this defense is always good we're gonna have to do this and this to win because that's what we had to do in the past right um so uh, maybe i'm weird for feeling that but I, I feel like it's something we've seen before where virginia struggled a little more against the the unknowns than they have against the teams they play year in and year out we we sometimes talk uh, and this is I want to I want to finish on this note. We sometimes talk on the show about you know what what success looks like, right? And it's not necessarily saying like oh, you know uh, if a team does X, you know that's great. It's more about like um, each year I think that that target sort of moves, and it's and it's more about a feeling than it is necessarily like a you know a hard and fast sort of rule. Um, you know there have been years when you know if you didn't win the ACC championship, you you it wasn't a success for this group this year. Um, I believe what pick fourth in the in the preseason fourth was that right? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I think yeah. that's right. Definitely um, top four. But so, what does success look like for this group this year, Dave? Um, I, I mean, making the tournament. Um, where what's the what's the thing that that has to happen for this for you to look back and go, you know what, that group had some some issues, but you know they made the most of it. What what does that look like to you? I mean, I think I mean making the tournament is probably where I'd put it. Um, and maybe that's a little jaded, um, but yeah, I think there's talent on this team. They're just they got to figure out how to work together and like how to maximize what they have. Like I, I think they, I think they're capable of making the tournament. Um, they're not a terrible team. It's just a bunch of parts that are struggling to figure out how they fit together. Um, so yeah, I, I'm gonna still say tournament, um, even though right now it looks like a long shot. I think I would agree with that. I feel like, you know, when you look at Virginia right now, what you see is a team that that when 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 a couple of different guys and it's funny how like it doesn't take a lot of shooting for them to feel almost like a dramatically different squad. But like when Franklin or even Clark are uh, are, are hitting it a couple or if you get some of the other guys in the game, you know, they do feel different. Um you know, I, I think turnovers are going to continue to be an issue for them. Um, the more opportunities they they give away, the harder it's going to be for them, obviously, to put up points. I think that efficiency has is, is never been as imperative as it is for this group, especially because I, I do think that when you watch them, you, you get the sense that, like, yeah, there are definitely times when they can play really good, you know, great, maybe even sometimes borderline elite defense. Can they do it consistently over the course of a game? I think – you know, Tony's always talking about it, keep knocking, keep knocking. I mean, I think that's the thing they've got to, you know, if they really want to have you know, maximize their potential, they're going to have to do that on that end of the floor. Um, I, yeah. I think that's a that's probably a tall task for them, you know, because of some of the the ways that um, you know skill sets sort of fit together. Um, Beekman is an elite defender. Uh, Kihei Clark is an elite defender. Caden Shedrick has been become the rim protector that you know Virginia desperately needed him to be. Um, beyond that, I think you're, you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to, you're trying to take a, 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 a series of players and make them into a team defense. And that, that, you know, for, you know, we talk a lot about the pack line and how that can be tough to learn. I mean, realistically, it's not the pack itself that's tough to learn. It's the, the ebbs and flows and the way you scrap together, um, you know, to sort of cover for each other. I think that's the thing that takes time, and that's that cohesion that has not really happened. It's it it it's it's in it's in there. You can see it every once in a while. You can see it, but it, it hasn't happened enough 
to make them to put them in a place of being elite defense. So I, I think that success for them is certainly the tournament. Um, you know, I, I think if they could get to a place where um, you know they're making a couple more shots here and there, their their success just improves dramatically. I, I don't think they're. It's weird. I don't feel like they're far off from being a team that can score enough to win given the defense that they play. I also don't think they're far enough they're far away from being a defense that can play at a higher level to take the pressure off the offense. The problem is is that both of those things um that that, that even though they don't this doesn't take a lot to get over that hump for both of those aspects I think is tough. And that's yeah. the thing that I'm going to be watching as this thing goes forward. Yeah, I mean I think if there's you know, if there's small, if there's a couple of small things that UVA can do that are in the realm of possibilities to make this team better, if not considerably better, it's and we've seen a little bit of it. Um, Jaden Gardner is kind of figuring out how to be more efficient offensively. Um, you know, those first few games, like like he was scoring points, but he was turning the ball over if he didn't score. Um, so against you know the last game, he he definitely he had a couple turnovers. I don't have the stats in front of me, but He's taking his time a little more. Everything is not as rushed. And so if he can be a little more efficient, which means, you know, if he gets a good shot, he's going to score. He's a, he's a gifted scorer. Um, but not turning the ball over in the situations, you know, a missed shot is better than a turnover, right? So I think that's one simple thing that would make the team better on offense. And then defensively, like you said, they're not elite yet. But Shedrick has become a better rim protector. But he's just got to He's got to stay on the floor. He's got to be better, not getting yeah, in foul gotta, trouble. Yeah, that's a, that's um, imperative so, for sure. Yeah, I think those two things can make the team tournament, you know, bubble worthy if not in the tournament. Um, if you get those with Franklin or another shooter emerging, then the team can be better than we think they are. Right. Um, but time will tell. Well, I think that's a good place to put a pin in it for this week. Um, obviously, lots to discuss coming up here soon. Um, we will we'll be back at it uh, next week to talk about um, the bowl game and sort of where things are with the basketball team and, and, and what's ahead for the winner. If you're somebody out there who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, you can look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever it is that you get your shows, and we very much appreciate that. Now, if you're somebody who's found the pod, be having given us a look at the website, you can check out CavsCorner.com. Right now, we got a story on Landon Johnson, the five-star point guard from 2023, cutting his list of six schools, including UVA. Um, let's see. Um, there's uh, we, we you know the, there's a story that Damon did on you know that same trio we just talked about a few minutes ago. Um, got some updates to the to the to the hot board. We've got obviously coverage coming um, of Clemson and, and everything um, for tomorrow night. So give us a look at the website, CavsCorner.com. Uh, Let's see. I want to say first, you want to visit myperfectfranchise.net for more information on how you can visit or excuse me, find freedom in your next venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. My thanks to them for their support of the show and of the website. And again, I want to thank everybody out there for supporting the show over the years and certainly throughout 2021. Uh, it is very much appreciated. Um, for this evening, I want to thank Dave for giving graciously of his time as well. I appreciate you coming on and uh, uh, we will probably be back together as a group next week. So for David Spence, I am Brad Franklin, uh, publisher of CapsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.